Crime Curious is a true crime podcast that takes an in-depth look into real cases. The content may be triggering or inappropriate for some audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Crime Curious. I'm Charnel. And I'm Amber. And we're going to start this episode off with a little bit of a follow-up from Sunday's episode about Todd Willingham. This is Thursday for you guys, but our Patreons actually get access to all of our episodes a few days early. So this conversation came to us from a Patreon that I really felt like we should give her perspective because I don't know that there's anyone out there that, besides someone in her similar situation that would have a more valid opinion of of things our dear patreon devon let me know that i could share her story a little bit she is a survivor from a vehicular fire her grandfather the the car caught on fire i don't know all of the specifics about it but she said her grandpa got out stopped dropped and rolled and immediately went and got her out so she actually first heard about the todd willingham case three years ago in a legal ethics course that she was taking and she said she struggled a little bit with the concept that Todd had not went to save the girls Mm -hmm. because for her she's like grandpa saved me yeah and like I said she is a, a burn survivor she suffered from this incident that happened and she is doing amazing today and I love chatting with her she always comments on our stuff and I just love it and she just brings such a unique perspective to this because then she added that in the same token her grandmother said if it had been us you know meaning grandma and Devin in the car that day she thinks they both would have perished because she doesn't think she thinks that shock would have taken over she doesn't think that she would have been able to save them and And that's pretty you know insightful it is It is. And a very honest perspective. And what we were saying in the episode, you know, Dr. Hurst was saying that people don't understand what it's like to be in a fire Mm -hmm. unless you've been in a fire. And I had said the same thing to you. I don't know. You did. I can't remember if I said it in the podcast, but I was struggling with that too. I'm like, why didn't he go back in? Mm -hmm. And I had said that before you made that comment about Dr. Hurst. Hurst, or is yep, he Dr. it is Dr. Hurst. Okay, and you said that people don't realize about the intensity and, and what it's actually like, and I really didn't think about that either. My thought was, that's my kid, I'm going in. Right, no matter what, but, but you know. Well, and so I, I just I thought. I want to stand by that that's my perspective, but you do, I have never been in that situation. And I very much think that's where Stacy's perspective is, and mm-hmm. I think that that is why she believes he's guilty, because he admitted to her that day on January 31st that I didn't try to go save the girls. I do too. I really... And so she's like, right in the interview, she said right then and there, I knew he was guilty. And in her mind, he is. is. But not trying to save someone and blatantly premeditating, using an accelerant, lighting it on fire for the purpose of murdering your children is... There's a difference. There is a difference. That's two totally different things. And what he was executed for was for arson and murder. The intent to murder, which... Mm -hmm. I do, I do believe not, was not there. I agree. I, I I I agree with that. So so that's that's that. Let us know what you guys think. Um, I have a feeling that it is going to make people feel a certain way because already mm-hmm. just in our Patreons, this isn't even released to the general public yet, and our Patreons have really been all over it. Like, oh my gosh, it you know, they de- think that they feel it. one way, and then they listen and realize. You saw me Wait the whole time. I'm like, he did it. No, yes. he did it. He did. Oh, you know, I was yep. I was a roller coaster. It's wild, and I could see why they would use that for a case or a in an ethics th- course. Yes. Oh, yep. yes. What a perfect case for an ethics course. I lots of room for debate. She did say that they had to watch a VHS tape, and this was only like three years ago. I she like to, I like that old. She school. had to like explain to someone who missed that day. She's like, hey, what I missed? Like, oh, we watched this tape on VHS. And like, the student was like, what's a VHS? 
<laughs> I just died. I was like, oh, yeah. Remember when you had, if you wanted to like watch something again, you'd have to rewind it and then you'd go too far yes. and then you fast forward and go Most too far. Frustrating it was process. It's a vicious cycle. Yeah. And our kids think that they have it bad today because they have to hit like the fast forward 15 second, oh, you know, yeah. oh, thing yeah. on a. They have no idea. They have no, none. They don't know the t- suffering. The, it coming out of the, the tape. The ta- oh, yeah. gosh. And using a pencil it, yes, to rewind to reel it, it back oh. in. We know where we came from. Yeah, we do. We'll never For forget sure. our roots as we are digitally recording this into our podcasting equipment <laughs> right now. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about our case today. I will just tell you right from the get-go, I'm covering this because it is an unsolved case. So don't get your hopes up that you're going to have some resolution at the end here. I firmly believe that it's from podcasts and other uh, avenues covering this case, there is new information just as twenty, just from February twenty twenty one after the case being cold for years. Oh, so very fresh. Yeah. New. So doing stuff like this helps get the word out, helps keep people talking, and keep things. I think there was even like a petition. We'll get to it to release it it information. Alive, it does. So in some small way, I hope this helps somehow. But we are going to cover the murder. It's an unsolved murder. Of Lindsay Buziak. Okay. It's a, can- a Canadian case. So hello to all of our Canada. <laughs> Beautiful st- country you have out there. Gorgeous. Lindsay Elizabeth Buziak was born November 2nd, 1983. That is just a few days before me. Same year. Same year for me too. Mm-hmm. She's a Scorpio. Hello, hello. <laughs> so she was born to her parents, Jeff and Evelyn. In Victorian British Columbia. She has one sister, Sarah. She was very close with her family. Her father especially is still a huge part of this case and supporter to bringing this case to justice. I'm just going to throw it out right now. She was freaking gorgeous. Mm. Wait till you see photos of her. Of course, we'll post them on our socials. It's going to hurt your heart because she's beautiful. And people really described her as like when she walked in a room. Everyone stared at her. Because she was that beautiful. Yes. But she would, she was so friendly and kind and caring that it wasn't like, oh, you're one of those pretty mean bitches. Mm -hmm. It was like, oh, I want to hate you, but I can't because you're so sweet. That's exactly it. Yes. Yes. (laughs) You know, what people have told me about me. (laughs) 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 As you can tell, I'm relating very heavily to this. Yes, yes, (laughs) yes. People turn heads when I walk into a room because I've tripped into the room. Same. Make no mistake. I have drawn attention to myself in some sort of ridiculous way, not because I'm so elegant and gorgeous. Yeah, I am not <laughs> flowing through a room. I am coming nope. in like a like a train wreck. <laughs> Absolutely. So anyway, so she's obviously, she's very popular. Gorgeous. She's beautiful. And people just loved being around her. She did obviously have some admirers. She was naturally. We are, this case takes place when she's 24 years old. And she followed her father into the family business of real estate, even though her father lived in Calgary. She and she's in Victorian, which sources had said that she had the perfect personality for real estate. That was really where she needed to be. In her real estate law courses, she met a guy named Ryan Zalo. And he was really smitten with her, of course, because she she's, she's got the looks, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I like it. I like yeah, it. Yeah, I didn't, unscripted, yeah, everyone. Yes. I didn't write that into my notes. <laughs> but um, Raw material right here was. tonight. Uh, Lindsay did not reciprocate those feelings, but that was okay with Ryan. He, he understood, and... That's not at all where I'm going with this case. Ryan does not come up again. He's oh, just okay. I was going to be like, no. but did he no. understand? He did. I know. When, we, when I don't know a case, I'm like everything you say, I'm like, what? You're dissecting it yes. suspicious. I get it. <laughs> yeah. He does. Ryan does introduce Lindsay to his powerhouse mother who worked for one of the largest real estate agencies in the area. Ryan comes from a very prominent, wealthy family and his mom is like a real estate mogul oh okay she like owns real estate in that yeah. area and her name was shirley what ryan does is made a recommendation of Lindsay to shirley like mom did our real estate courses together she would be great and so shirley meets Lindsay, falls in love with her right away like yep you're perfect so shirley 
hires her on as a junior real estate agent for her company. And Shirley has another son. His name is Jason Zalo. He was a mortgage broker and also had the hots for Lindsay. Because honestly, there's not a guy that Everybody loves gonna. them some Lindsay. Yeah. When you see photos of her, you're going to be like, I'm questioning my choice of sexuality right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or I'm just going to be like, why didn't I get those genetics? Yeah. Why? <laughs> right. You know. Oh, she is gorgeous. So Jason goes ahead and asks her out. There's no hard feelings with Ryan being like, mm, actually, yeah, nothing, nothing like that. Okay, Her. so it's like he's like, get it, get it, bro. Yeah, because Jason starts showing it up. Piggish. I apologize. <laughs> this is, sometimes I can be a you know, piggish person. <laughs> way to go, dude. Like, I'm a douchebag. <laughs> if you were a boy, I'd be, be a, a douche total douchebag right now. <laughs> I'm a douche Okay, carry on. I love you. Okay. Jason starts showing up at his mom's work a lot. Now, he is a mortgage broker and it is his mom's business. Right. Okay, but it's really more about, I want to ask this hottie, hottie, hottie out. Uh Uh-huh. They begin dating because she's she's reciprocating this Zalo's feelings. Okay. Okay. They move in together really quickly. Oh. Only after like three to four months. Oh, wow. They move in. Mm Mm-hmm. Shirley let them move into her vacation home, which was worth over a million dollars. Um, life is unfair. I know. Like, wow. Well, for first boyfriend uh, moving in together, here's here's my vacay here's home. Here's a million dollar vacay home for your starter home. Best wishes. Yeah, I chose life wrong. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> but anyway, that so sounds delightful. It is. And they're in the um, Shonagan Lake area, which isn't far from Victorian, but it's not like right, not close enough that she felt like she, because she was really close with her family. Mm-hmm. So it, it's far enough away that she feels disconnected. From them. Well, as time goes on, it becomes pretty clear that Shirley is not quite as amazing as she maybe originally thought. She kind of has two sides to her. Oh, little, okay. Little hot-headed, a little controlling. Some some skeletons in the closet, maybe? I think so. I mean, I don't think you become a real estate mogul without having some tough skin on you. You got to have two sides, I would imagine. You know, there's a, probably a, a nice nurturing side, and then there's a cutthroat business side. Yeah. Real estate can be cutthroat. My sister's a realtor. I don't know how she does it. I am sure that so, it so, yeah. Now, it turns out that Jason is a lot like his mother because he also has these same sort of issues. Lindsay is just kind of like, ah, I'm I'm not feeling this. She moves out of the million-dollar vacation house and back to Victorian where she's closer to her family and friends. Jason begs her back and was like, you know, come on, we can, we we can, can make this. this work. Yeah. She's like, okay. Eventually, they do end up moving Back in together, this time in a condo in Victorian that was also owned by Shirley. Now, it should be noted that I guess Shirley put in a lot of money into renovations into these homes. Like, just in the condo alone, she put in 70K. Oh. So. Okay. So, they're these places are looking pretty nice. Yeah, and I'm going to say that Shirley is making some pretty good bank. I think she is. So, as with money comes power. You know what I mean? I'm just, I'm just saying that. I don't... Mm-hmm. I don't know. This case is unsolved. You know, there's that. That's not me throwing any sort of... I'm putting that in my, my it's, back yeah, pocket. Yeah, it's, it's just information of the case. Yes. Shirley's got money. Yeah, Shirley's got Shirley's got bank. You can't be a real estate mogul and be poor. Right. You know, she's obviously doing well for herself. Good for her. Way to go. Well, throughout the fall and then into January 2008, because that was the fall of 2007, they moved back in together in that condo. And then they're together, January 2008... Lindsay has started to tell her family and friends at this point that things just weren't what she wants with Jason. She's not happy. There is no mention of abuse or violence. This is not. It's just she's just not feeling the relationship. Yes. She, She had actually dated a guy named Matt for five years prior to this, and they had a good relationship. It just didn't work out. She was kind of comparing you know, to her friends and whatnot, like, I know, I I know what it's supposed to feel like. And it's just not really feeling like that with Mm -hmm. Jason. And she had started to say, I want to, I've got some pending real estate business. And after the new year, 
I'd like to wrap that up and then I'm going to break it off with him for good. There was even a time in December 2007 when she had a friend over and thought that Jason was asleep. And she told her girlfriend that she was unhappy and the story about, you know, I'm going to tidy up these real estate things and then I'm cutting ties. Okay. Jason was not asleep. He was pretending Uh to be asleep. He heard a fight ensued. Again, no, there is no mention of physical abuse, anything like that in this case. But he did like chase her car down the road and then tried to call her like 50 times in a row. So it just sounds like there are some some issues mm-hmm. there. Okay, little instability, depend dependability. Yeah, sounds like he was really wanting to hold on to the relationship. Yeah, yep. So so that happened. And then January 31st, 2008, after the it's again not physical abuse, but the Jason heard the in, the situation that he wasn't supposed to hear. She tells everybody, I'm going to try to make it work with him. They're just kind of on again, off again. Yeah. Okay. Sounds like she's a little hot and cold. Yeah, exactly. That's a good way to put it. So on January 31st, 2008, they're on again. Everything's okay. It's not great. You know, their relationship's not great, mm-hmm. but it's not terrible. Uh, she's trying to make it work. And she gets a call from a prospective real estate client that had a very thick Spanish-type accent. This woman said that she has been given Lindsay's name from a former client. Okay. And the the former client's name did check out with Lindsay. She's like, yeah, I sold that person a house. Mm -hmm. And she's like, yeah, she referred me to you. I don't know. I don't mean to sound like I've done poor research here. It's just that a lot of people's names are still redacted from public record. Okay. We'll get to that more in a minute. I just wanted to throw that out there so that people weren't like, oh, Charnel, I see you've done shitty research tonight. I think you've proved yourself pretty well in your research. So. I hope so. I think I'm people still will let suffering it slide. from Shelly. Okay. <laughs> Me too. I'm not over it yet. No. I am not over her. I still think about her in the middle of the night and it creeps <laughs> she, me out. She haunts my dreams. Mm-hmm. This person said that her husband is being relocated for work and wants to see some houses. They want a three bedroom, three bath with a separate living quarter for a nanny. Their budget is a cool million dollars. <laughs> yeah. No big deal. Nope. Yeah. NBD. <laughs> totes normal. Totes normal. That's That sounds about what mine is as well. Yeah, I was actually just going to say that. Like, wow, only a million? Okay. They must be downsizing. <laughs> it reminds me of that meme where it's like, husband sells butterflies on eBay and... Yeah, that one. She sells butterflies and he sells used golf equipment or something like that. Budget $1.5 million. Every time, though, that's how it is. It is. Just like inheritance. You must have be a trust fund baby. Like, give me a break. No offense to any of our trust funders out there. We're just totally jealous of you. That's all. Absolutely. That's where that comment was coming from. Please call me. jealousy. Also, Amber's single, so dial her up. 555. Eight six seven five three zero. It's always five five five. Yes, it is. <laughs> so anyway, they want to only look at houses that are vacant or new builds because they need to move right away. Okay, so they want to get right in there. They do, and their money talks. So they're like, "Listen, I got a big budget. You're going to make a killing on commission, and this is January thirty first. I, I want to see houses by, they set up time a time for February 2nd. That is two days. So they're like, get a move on here. Mm-hmm. She did think that it was a little unusual that someone with that kind of budget would pick a 24-year-old junior agent, but she was a referral. You know, I mean, this is how you build your business. Sure. Referrals. And she called that client that um, was named by the person to thank her. Thank you for your referral. Especially because apparently you know people in high places. Right. They got a hefty budget. But the person was on holiday, so she didn't get a hold of her. And it's unfortunate because if she had been able to get on a hold of her, of that person, of that client that supposedly referred her, uh-huh. she would have been told, I have no idea what you're talking about. I never referred anyone to oh, you. Oh, no. So, like, you did a great job selling me my house, but I did not. So, so something's name. a brewing. Something is amiss. The other thing that Lindsay would tell people later, she t- she told people, it's kind of weird that I would, as a junior agent, would get a million dollar yeah. buyer. Uh, but the other thing is this accent. It was so unidentifiable. That is 
that's how she said it to her friends. Like, it's an unidentifiable accent. I have no idea. It's almost like it's fake. Like, someone can't oh, quite maintain. Okay. And, like, they they slide in and out of it, like, too heavy in some parts, too light in others, which is exactly how episode Tall Hot Blonde, when I was trying to do a southern accent, meant oh. no disrespect. It's right. just that Yankee people sound really stupid when they're trying to do a southern accent. When you're used to saying ope all the time, yeah, right. exactly. <laughs> you have to flip to the southern. No, I precisely, get it. Precisely, precisely. So, so she is. It sounds to me like her internal instinct is flaring up a little bit. Well, it really was because she even calls her dad and talks to her dad about it. And her dad's like, you know, honey, because her dad's in real estate. Remember, he's like, it's probably nothing, but take someone with you. And she's like, you know, that's. Good idea. It's a good idea, Daddy-o. Uh-huh. This is why I call you for life advice. Thanks, Papa-san. Right. So she's like, hey, Jason, you want to come with me to this showing? Because she had told Jason all about, about this. this. this In her notes, she never wrote down anybody's name. She wrote the Mexicans because, it, like I said, it was a heavy Spanish accent. Do not come at me. Those are not my words. These are her words. Her words. Not me. Not me. Not different. <laughs> Lindsay, Charnel. Lindsay, Charnel. Okay. <laughs> Charnel's not calling people Mexicans. Yes. That is in her notes and in her cell phone. That's, that's what, what their number was, the Mexicans. Oh. And that's what her notes said. I then read other reports that, that are more, early, more recent from 2020 and 2021 that claimed her notes said uh, million dollars, the millionaires, something like that. But I also just don't know if it's because they didn't want to publish the Mexicans. Right, you know, right. I, I don't know. But for sure, we know in a text message she refers to them as the Mexicans. And so that is why her friends and family can tell the police later that information. Like this is, you know, it was a Spanish accent. This is what she had nicknamed them to identify them because she only had two days of working with them. Okay. So, you know, I don't know how much information she had gathered aside from what they were looking for. And they were very specific about what they were looking for ahead of time. So they schedule showings for February 2nd. And we do know that there were 10 calls placed between January 31st and February 2nd from the phone number of the client and Lindsay's phone where she had them programmed. Jason is all set and ready to go with her. She had set up um, a showing to show them a five-bedroom house that was actually just a little bit under their budget. So she's doing a damn good job rocking the real estate uh, business. They're going to meet at 5.30 p.m. on February 2nd. And I'm going to take you through the timeline. We know the timeline because Lindsay's dad has set up a whole website. It is um, it is lindsaybuziakmurder.com. So you can you are welcome to check that out. He has made available every article that anyone has ever mentioned her murder. A whole timeline. It's I like a, it. It's Keep a plethora. It alive. Yes, Keep, yes, plethora of information. And so I just feel like this is us helping him for sure know, aid that. I'm gonna check it out so here's the timeline on February 2nd 2008 her and Jason have lunch at a restaurant called sauce I like it me Saucy. too isn't that an awesome name it is I like it too we, we come across some really good names I know nothing in will our beat the ugly tuna though nothing will ever you have the best names be. in all of your cases <laughs> I do find some treasures her and Jason meet at this restaurant the waitress actually knows Lindsay, so she was able. So she was later able to confirm that they had lunch and that she chatted with her. Mm-hmm. They paid their bill at four twenty-four p.m. Jason did pay for her. It was nice of nice him. Nice job, gentlemanly. Lindsay went to what well, seemingly go change her clothes for the showing from the restaurant. They split. Okay. So they split ways. Jason had to go to an auto body shop, and he was like, "I got to go to the body shop." You go change your clothes. We will meet back at the showing. I'll see you at 5.30. Okay. It is confirmed. Jason went to the auto body shop. He's on the CCTV video footage. Oh, okay. So he was there. He was there. Yes. And she went and changed her clothes. Jason arrived at the auto body shop at 4.29 p.m. So it must have been really close to sauce because they paid their bill at 4.24. And then at 4.29, he's there. Yeah. He's on the footage there. We then know at 5.29 p.m., Lindsay unlocks the real estate box on the house for the showing. So she is prompt. 
At 5.30, Jason leaves the auto body shop with his co-worker, Cohen Oatman, who had met him at the auto body shop place and was, like, waiting for him to get done. Now, the two were going to hang out. There's some conflicting information, and for me... I don't trust all the media outlets because I feel like sometimes they like to just stir a pot that doesn't need to be stirred. Maybe add a little extra or... Yes. I I agree. So some sources were like, well, him and Cohen weren't even good friends, but he pressured Cohen to go hang out with him that night, Mm -hmm. probably for his alibi. Okay, I get what you're saying. Or they just wanted to go to dinner and or play hockey because there's two different recollections of what was happening that night was was it dinner or hockey I'd like to pose the question of why can't it be both I always question that too when it's like a source says it's like who's your source right how did you know they weren't good friends uh, yeah I, exactly I have questions like he's waiting at the auto body he meets him at the auto body shop and then is waiting in his car for him to finish up I just don't feel like you do that for an acquaintance yeah. and Or if they were just acquaintances, acquaintances will go and play a good game of hockey. This is Canada, people. That's, For sure. You know, that's the equivalent to us going and playing baseball. Like, exactly. you just, let's get a pickup game going. You know, or whatever. Like, I would wait to for go basketball. have Mexican food for, like, I would wait for you I would to wait go do that. The home, like, I would All invite. Day. I don't have a friend to go eat a taco with. Homeless guy on the street. You want a taco? Let's go. There are <laughs> yes. some things that you don't have to know people for to go and do Absolutely. things with. But, so there's just some, some confliction it. there. I just want you guys to know he, Cohen Oatman was with Jason, and that's really all that matters. You know, when I start writing brain bath articles, I can't say I wouldn't want to add a little extra spice, too. You're going to be spicy. I, I, I know I it. I get it. You have I a do. flair for the dramatic. Your writing style will, too. Thank you. So Jason sent a text to Lindsay at 530. It said, I will come meet you, and I will be there in 10 or 15 minutes or so. She replied with, okay, I will see you in a bit. Gotta go. The Mexicans are here. And then what we know now because it's 2021 and there was a petition done 10 years after this case went cold for 10 years there was a petition done to release records because the police department fully admitted like the case is cold so they released the records they were heavily redacted but there was some confliction because in those it actually says maybe they talked on the phone so okay i'm not sure like this this well, Sounds familiar. These, but let's. I'm gonna throw this out here because I don't like to bash police, but also in a murder investigation, that where the story gets a little bit crazy, and then you're like, oh, mm, could it be? Could it not be? What the heck? Whoa! Um, they don't have to give you all the damn details because they're doing a freaking investigation. When I'm invest doing my investigations and I'm making contacts, people ask me all the time. They want to know information. I do not give it to them because what are they going to do? They could potentially go and call the person that I'm investigating and F up the whole entire thing. Yeah. yeah, So I get it. No, like they purposely keep things to themselves to run the investigation. Let them do that without making it sound like they aren't doing their job. And sometimes cases really do go cold until people bring new stuff up. I don't know. Not to say, I mean, there is shitty police work out there. I get it. There's shitty everything work out there. They're shitty doctors. Eh. Lots of shit. Yeah. yeah you know, there's good it. people and bad people. And there's people both. that are better at their jobs than others. Yeah. I mean, we've seen, I think, both scenarios, like the Jennifer right. Kessie case, where it was like they redacted so much and the family's like, no, Hold no. On. Yep, yep, yep. Well, we want yep. it all. And, and, and that a lot was a situation they, where yes. they kind of dropped the ball. Yeah, you know? yeah. But that's not always the case. It's not. As I get into this more, I think you might, everyone might kind of realize why they would be a little bit more closer to the chest with their info. Because it gets bigger than this. Noted. Yeah. Noted. Despite the heavily accented person on the phone saying that she would come alone. So, sorry to cut you off. Yeah. I came with a finger intensely. I'm like, hold it. Hold on. So, at this point, she has not actually seen any of them in person correct? no okay. this is only two days she gets phone that phone call on it. january 31st and our first meetup is february 2nd at 5 30 to show you the first house because okay. we got to move quick we're moving yeah, for they his want job. it they mm-hmm. yes all right got so it. this person was like yeah i'm gonna come alone a couple shows up it's a hu- it's the husband and wife and they come right at 5 30 because two witnesses saw a six foot tall caucasian man with dark hair 
and a blonde haired woman with short, her hair was cut shorter with like a bob. They were between the ages of 35 and 45. The woman was wearing a distinctly patterned, god awful, ugly dress. Mm. You don't forget that. You don't. An offensive pattern. And you don't the police forget it. have been able to pinpoint the actual dress and show the witnesses. And they were like, yes, this is the dress. Because it, it stood out so much. Yeah, it's black and it's um, sleeveless. Okay, it's black. But it's got these wavy, these three wavy stripes that are going down the breast over to the hip and then down the leg. Okay. It crosses over to the leg kind of. And it's in like a pink, a white, and... I can't remember the like brown or something. So I can't it's a remember very the other distinct, color. recognizable easy pattern. To, easy, yeah, and easy to describe. Uh huh. So I I will post a picture of that dress, but it wasn't adorable. But it was a little fancy, and he was wearing like a a suit, you know, like a brown suit coat. He was dressed mm-hmm. nicely. I mean, they're dressed like people who could potentially own a be buying a million dollar home. The witnesses said that they saw Lindsay shake hands with the couple. So from the body language of their greeting, it appeared that she had never met them before. And all three of them are standing behind Lindsay's car at this point in time. And then they watched them go and enter the house because she had already unlocked the door. Gotcha. At 5.38 p.m., Jason sends a text just a couple minutes away. And this text was never read or never opened on Lindsay's Blackberry. So we know at 5.29, she unlocked the box, the front mm-hmm. door. And now it is 538 and she doesn't read her mess- his message. Which Jason at this time is just thinking, yeah, she's in the middle of her showing. Yeah, he's not you know? questioning mm-hmm. anything at right. this point. The police said that this was Jason's last text. If you watch the dateline on this, the police are there saying the last text that she ever got was Jason saying just a couple minutes away and it was never read by her. But Jason is on dateline saying... No, I sent another text a little while later that said, are you okay? It's never mentioned by the police. So Jason and Cohen arrive at the cul-de-sac around 5.40 p.m. And they were driving up to the, as they were driving up to the property, Jason sees a figure through the glass of the front door. Sees like a shadow. There's some confliction here too, because nine years later, his statement changes that he saw a man outside. And oh. then go back into the house. Interesting. But it started with the It started inside. with the shadows. Yes. Supposedly, according to sources. I'm just going to say that whatever is in the, you know, the police wrote down at the time is what he, they were told at the time. Mm-hmm. At 5.41 p.m., Lindsay's Blackberry butt-dialed a random number from her contact list. They know this was random, and they believed it happened while she was being murdered. Oh, my god! Because it's just like this person that she doesn't ever talk to. There was no answer. I mean, it was just like. A random number. Was completely like maybe accident. when she was struggling. Yes. Oh, wow. That's exactly what they think. She was killed between 538 and 541. Now, remember, Jason and Cohen pulled up at 540. Yeah. The coroner's report estimated her time of death at 540. So oh my gosh. it is like right on because you know we know that she answered Jason's text that he sent at 5 30 saying I'm on my way and she's like okay I gotta go they're here and 5 38 she doesn't read the text so this happens immediately when they get into yeah, the house he's like getting there and she's yeah at that time murdered. murdered at first Jason parks outside the property for about 10 minutes and then he's like I don't want to ruin this sale for her by looking like a creeper. Uh-huh. You know, and that um, that's when he texts, after about 10 minutes is when he texts the, are you okay? That one goes on red as well. But again, the police never mention that text, but Jason does. Gotcha. So I'm just giving a you. A small detail. Giving of, you the deets. Yes. Yeah. So they decide that they're going to drive out and kind of like park not directly across from the house anymore. They're going to park so where their back end is, like, t- pointing towards the house. Uh-huh. I mean, they basically would have to, like, turn around. Like, they're just not, they're trying to get, make themselves scarce but still be around. After about 10 minutes of that, he's like, uh, she's not reading my messages. And this just, I don't know. It's been 20 minutes. The police reports had indicated that Jason, 20 minutes after Jason had arrived and seen the couple go back into the house. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he. Or in the front window 
one of those two things, uh-huh. 20 minutes had passed, as when he's like, yeah, something's up. I'm going to go to the house and just casually drop by. So he does. Him, He goes, he went to the front door and found it locked, which he's like, wait, that's not right. Agents wouldn't just lock it if no, there's somebody inside. No, not when they're in, during in the middle of a showing. But at the same time, he's like, he sees her, um, he calls, he called, he knocked on the door, he rang the doorbell, no one's answering. He can see her high-heeled shoes in the front room, which isn't unusual. A lot of times, especially in a really expensive home, you take your you're going to take your shoes off. Gotcha. So he's like, I know she's in here. Here's her shoes. Right. You know, so he's knocking, no response. He calls 911. Jason's like, no. So he immediately is like, something's wrong. Yeah. Yeah, he call, so he calls 911 and is like, listen, my girlfriend is showing this house. She felt uneasy about it. She's not, she was responding to my text messages a half an hour ago. Now she's not. Can you please come call or, you know, send someone because now the house is locked and it shouldn't be. So they do, the police are like, sure. When he was on the line with the operator, Oatman, um, Cohen, Cohen Oatman, found a gap in the fence in like a back garden because he had been being nosy. He was perusing around. And he saw that the back patio door to the home was wide open. Oh. So he called out to Jason like, hey, we got a way Somebody in. went back mm-hmm. here. So Jason's on the phone with the operator and he was like, hey, you know, send police, but I'm going to break into this house. Like I'm going in through that door. He hangs up with 911. Jason's actually the one. He's a pretty burly. He's a husky fellow, if you will. Okay. Good looking guy, but he's got muscle. So he's the one that actually hoists Cohen over the fence. So gotcha. Cohen goes in through the back door, goes runs right to the front door, unlocks the door, and lets Jason in. When you enter the house, the stairs to the upstairs is right in front of you. So Cohen is running through the uh, main level of the home, calling out Lindsay's name. They're not getting a response. And Jason is immediately going upstairs because, you know, divide and conquer. Right, right. And so it's just... Don't think that it's unusual of like, why would he immediately go upstairs? It was just literally a, you, the stairs are right that there. that way. I'm going up this way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's, I think, probably 100% what I would have done. Same. Stairs are right there. So he does. And at the top of the stairs is the master bedroom. He immediately runs into the master bedroom and sees Lindsay lying in a pool of blood. Oh, no. He immediately calls 911. Um, she takes the 911 operator, takes them through. They, The police, actually, they start hearing the sirens because they, the 911 already had called. already, yeah, had already sent someone. So he tried CPR, but, and on the Dateline episode, he's like, but she was cold and I could tell that she was already gone. I don't know that she would have been cold, Yet, but, but lifeless. I was just going to say, I, I think maybe there's probably an indicator of no life at some point. Yes, yes. So I don't want it. There have been some sources that have kind of pulled threads at that. Like, why would he say she was cold? Well, because there's not blood flowing through her veins. It's different than, yeah. you know, are we talking like rigor mortis has set in, set in and she's completely, you know, frigid? No, nothing like that. It's just different. He knew she was gone. Yeah. Lindsay Buziak was pronounced dead when the paramedics arrived. She was stabbed more than 40 times. Oh, my gosh. There was no defensive wounds, indicated that she had probably been initially stabbed from behind with no idea of what was about to happen. Now, they focused the wounds on her face and on her breasts. She had recently undergone breast augmentation surgery, and so So that is an interesting piece to this. like they were taking away her... Typically, yes, yes. Doesn't that, it, I mean, it does, we know, it does typically indicate this is someone close to her, someone. It was personal. That was, yes. It was a personal attack is what the police believe. Or, I'll throw this out there, it was purposely set up to look like a, per, a personal attack. It, that's another interesting perspective yeah because i'm I'm over like why Why i'm gonna throw a couple out there yeah none of Lindsay's possessions had been stolen and she had not been sexually assaulted again another indicator of a personal attack so jason and cohen were taken into custody but they were released without charge after their version of the of events were verified and time stamped between the surveillance footage from the auto shop and 
the fingerprints that they had left in the house went right along with where they said they had been and what they had touched. Mm-hmm. Like that all coincided. And Jason has been interviewed several times over the years, has always cooperated with the police, and he passed a polygraph. So there's, there's that. that. Mm-hmm. There was no DNA, no fingerprints, no other physical evidence at the scene. It is believed that the murder was a well-organized professional hit carried out by people who had killed before. Interesting. The police are satisfied that the killers were leaving through the front door when Jason drove up to the property, and then they fled through the back door, leaving the back patio door open and passing through the fence and back to their vehicle, which they believe was parked somewhere on or near Torquay Drive. Um, which is around the corner, is my understanding. So they could they could have, they did drive up, but they parked in the back to they, get away? Yes, but they actually walked up. Witnesses saw them walking up, the unknown couple walking up rather than driving, and all the other vehicles on the cul-de-sac were accounted for after the police arrived. Lindsay didn't question, or maybe she did. She might have asked them, like, hey, where'd you park? Yeah. And they're like, oh, around the, around the corner on Torquay Drive. Because this is a dead-end cul-de-sac. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Or this is a cul-de-sac, which to it me says- It still like, would have been probably, if she would have thought been, about it, it yeah, would have that, been shady. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The cell phone. Because, you know, this woman with the accent has been calling her. Yeah. They had 10 phone conversations. The cell phone used by the unknown woman was purchased in Vancouver several months before the murder. Like, when we say several months, I actually mean the fall of, like- um spring or something of that of 2007 this is february 2008 so it was quite some time that's interesting and it had never been used until the call was made wow it was activated under the name paulo rodriguez which authorities believe is a fake name it was registered to a a legitimate address in vancouver which is a business address but it's believed that the business had no connection with the case and that it was just a random, random yeah. yep, address. The phone was deactivated just after the murder and has not been used since. So odd that it was like a year before. Right. We will get to that. Okay. Theories on that. Pings, like tower phone tower pings, show that the phone traveled on the ferry from Vancouver the day before the murder. Authorities believe the phone was used for the sole purpose of the murder and was discarded afterwards which supports the theory that the murder was planned because of her per- her injuries seeming so personal. personal. Yeah. The family of Jason Zalo were investigated due to their connections with the cul-de-sac that the house was located on, which is De Sousa Court. It's named after the developer Joe De Sousa, a friend and business associate of Shirley Zalo. Jason's mother. Now, part of the cul-de-sac was still under construction at the time of the murder, and DeSousa himself was at the location an hour before the murder, supervising construction work. However, the police have stated that no one in the Zalo family is a suspect. Interesting. Yes. December 2007, Lindsay visited her father in Calgary and met up with some friends. Before leaving her dad, she said, I saw something I wasn't supposed to, and I can't get into it now, but it was bad. And her dad didn't want to pry, but he's just like, um, okay. She's like, I will talk to you about it later. So what they know, this actually came out in September of 2010 when date a Dateline episode, Dreamhouse Murder, came out. It revealed that in that December 2007 when she was visiting friends in Calgary, she tried to contact her ex-boyfriend Matt's really good friend, like best friend. And no one really knows why. She wasn't trying to get back with Matt. Matt had a new girlfriend. Matt was cleared by the police because he was with his new girlfriend and their family mm-hmm. at the time of the murder. So not a suspect. he's clear. Okay. Nope, he was never a suspect. But in December 2007, she's like randomly trying to get a hold of Matt's best friend, one of Matt's best friends. And then January, that happened in December 2007. January 22nd, 2008. The largest drug bust in Alberta's history took place, and the friend that she tried to contact of her ex-boyfriend, Matt, was arrested as being a major participant in the illegal drug trafficking operation. Interesting. Yes. So one of the theories here, there's speculation 
that her murder may have been ordered by a drug cartel because they mistook, mistook her for a police informant. Oh, okay. Well, the way that this happened, it's so clean, fast. Professional, professional. as the police were saying. Detectives that were investigating this possibility did quickly like kind of rule it out as motive because she was not an informant. And her personal nature, the personal nature of her murder did not fit a hired killer's method of operation. Crime scene investigator Yolanda McCarthy and veteran homicide detective Dwayne Stanton both agree that that Lindsay's murder may not have been a contracted murder related to a drug cartel. It was brutal. It was amateurish. Both seasoned investigators state that they believe that her murder was very personal and planned by someone very close to her and someone who had access to inside information from the real estate office that she worked. So at first, it's like, yeah, this this really seems to fit. Like drug cartel, right? Hired Initially, the police are like, this is a hired hitman. And then other major investigators come in and are like, no, this is sloppy as fuck. Yeah. This is personal. Yeah. So Ugh. speculation regarding another drug bust related to this group of people was also investigated as a link to her murder. There's a person whose name I'm not going to mention because, like I said, this is unsolved. And it, I mean, you can find the name and whatnot, but I just don't know that this person wants their name out there. Their phone had actually been tapped because of this his high level of involvement in the trafficking and sale of illegal, illegal narcotics in British, in British Columbia and Alberta. During the wiretaps, law enforcement uncovered information that led to raids in 2003. And interestingly enough, Lindsay and her boyfriend Matt at the time, because this is 2003, mm-hmm. both of their phones were tapped because of their association with this person who I'm not going to name. Oh, really? Because they're just friends. Wow. Yes. And so she was, her and Matt were never known to be involved in drug use or trafficking. And it was not on the witness like list release during the defense trial. So they just happened to be friends with this person. Yes. And there's an interesting quote from a police officer in Victorian that says, listen, I'm not going to quote him directly because I can't remember it and I didn't write it down in my notes. But what he is saying is you can have a very good friend and have no connections with what that very good friend is doing in Victorian and be basically it's like the six degrees of bacon or making bacon bacon, like that that is what this guy is saying like you can have a whole bunch of friends in this area and And it's not know what they're involved in yeah and it's guaranteed that some of them are involved in really horrible stuff so now you're being investigated or you're involved because of it but you actually have nothing to do with any of it and there is no it is a big part of this case that Lindsay was not a part of any illegal drug trafficking situation so they just happened to be friends with somebody that was involved in some really bad stuff and one of the theories is that shit when she went to calgary in december of 2007 the bad thing that she witnessed that she told her dad might have been drug related and someone mistook her as a snitch uh, was or was afraid she was going to tell. Yeah, or then, saw, noticed her or something. And then, right. Then there's another side of this. Apparently, this same heavy Spanish-speaking accent person called one of Jason's other ex-girlfriends, talked for a second, and then hung up. Oh, really? So then there's this, okay, it's personal. Is it somebody who hates her? Is it a jealous person? They've checked out all the other people that he's dated, and they're clear. And then there's another really weird caveat to this. Later in 2008, Lindsay's best friend, Nikki, claimed that she was woke up by a telephone call in the middle of the night from an unknown number. She was half asleep. She didn't register it much, and... She didn't register much of what the female caller was saying, but she noticed that the caller had a strange accent that she could not place. She became scared when she remembered that Lindsay had reported her identified client and possible murderer had had an odd accent and that she could not put her finger on. When she becomes fully alert, she calls the phone number back, but she had to call it repeatedly before someone would answer. It was like 20 or 30 times. The person on the other line was Shirley Zalo. Really? Yeah, Nikki asked Shirley, why did you call her? And how did you have my number? We don't know each other. 
Shirley replied that she had meant to call Nikki her secretary and that she didn't know why this Nikki's number was in her contact list, but was like, maybe my son Jason put it in my phone. It's really strange. Yeah. So what's even more strange is that Shirley Zalo adamantly denies that this event ever occurred. And we have no idea if phone records were ever pulled to confirm or not. So there's that. Following up on the cell phone, the burner phone. It is very widely known that anyone involved with illegal drug and sex trafficking, things like that, they use burner phones. So they probably purchase them like yes, in the, bulk, the theory probably. Of, exactly. And that's actually the complete theory. Is this particular phone wasn't necessarily purchased for the murder for, of Lindsay. Gotcha. It was just probably purchased, it was to, just you, purchased. Yep. to be a burner phone. Yeah. And now, hey, we need it. You know, pick one out of the pile. This yeah. is the phone you're going to use yep, to carry that makes this sense. out. Whether it's a professional hit person that purposely made it look sloppy and made it look personal, or whether it really was someone who was sloppy and personal. Not sloppy in a way. I just meant with her, because um, they really weren't sloppy. I mean, they left no, no trace. DNA. Yeah. Maybe the job itself was sloppy, but they right. didn't leave any evidence behind. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Then, remember how I had said that her father had put together a website? Yes. LindsayBuziakMurder.com. Someone had commented on a thread. This was 2017, I believe. And it's hard to hear, but they, I'll say this right from the beginning. They spelled her name wrong. So the claim really doesn't have a lot of credibility in the eyes of the law. But it says, I killed Lindsay. No one gives a shit anymore, anyhow, except her crybaby dad. Even her fakie girlfriends have washed it away. Typical loser chicks. The cops have dropped it because they can't solve shit and were told to drop it. Then it reads, cut the phony investigation. It's done. Go home, losers. Forget about her. The streets always rule. Bitches die every day. Wow. So it's 2017 and we couldn't trace that. And that's what they're saying. Okay, guys, remember, this is an open investigation. So right now they might be telling the public, yep, we couldn't trace it. We have no Mm -hmm. idea. For sure. So many theories there too. Is Uh it just an online troll? Because you know the trolls. Well, that's just it. Yeah. Love to come a Exactly. The snotty, the trolls from Ernest Scared Stupid. Yes, those Those trolls. They're the ones. They're the ones that come out yep. when there is a feed that they can and like comment on. Yes, and their hands are look like nothing but tree roots, but somehow they can. They will emerge to make horrible comments. this horrible shit. Brian Schaefer case. Yes. Jennifer Cassie. Like yes, the, Amy Bradley. I don't understand why people do this, but they do it they do. every yep. single and time. And it's usually the hackers masturbating in their mom's basement <laughs> so they can stop you know it from being traced. Like Yep. I see. I'm calling you out, and it's and it's horrible because it does throw the case off. Because then you're like, is it a real genuine yep. tip or is it a troll? Yeah. It, yes. Exactly. We're with waiting. tissues and <laughs> lotion in the basement. <laughs> they don't use lotion. You're right. God, that's so horrible. The most though. the most update on this case is the fresh update. The fresh update. It started in October 2020 in Canada. You, the public, can like petition for cases to be released, uh, records to be released of Uh cold cases after 10 years. They did, but they were heavily redacted, which to me says they still have information that they don't want the public to know. They did release a composite sketch, but it was a year after her murder, and people seemed really upset about that, of the couple. Mm. Okay, but again... I know because I work them every day, there are investigation tactics. So, like, I'm not going to knock them about, oh, you waited too long to release the composite sketch. You don't. We don't. I, like I don't know. We're not working reason. the case. Right. Yeah. Right. I'm not going to knock that. But, and someday I'd like to have some of our police buddies on this Talk about that. show and we can ask all of those hard questions. So, in 2020, an investigative reporter went and got those records, was combing through them, couldn't make a whole lot of sense of them based on the um, redaction, especially because so many names were redacted. But when you start throwing in the drug cartel, and let me tell you, her dad goes balls to the wall and has all gang members and drug gang members that he knows of in their area listed on that website. And he was on Dr. Phil and Dr. Phil was like, yeah, that's a good way to get killed. But he's kind of like, and I'm a, I'm a parent too. So at this point for it's me, like, I'd be like, 
whatever, yeah. come at me. Yeah. So I want to find my daughter wa- mm-hmm. or who killed my daughter. Because there's two different theories. You know, there, there's some theories here, and one of them includes those people. Um, so that was 2020. They kind of put out, I read the investigative report and didn't feel like I got any really new stuff. information. Yeah. No. Then February 1st, 2021. A new article came out, says the FBI is involved. They have new leads and they are working it. Oh, so we will. Yes, we will provide an update. I have my Google alerts set. If you guys see something, tag us in it because you might see it before we do. We have got a lot of things going on so yeah i would love to know Gosh, as more I hope comes they solve forward this I, me too we need it to go sounds to Canada. like there's some promising some things so one of the things that was discovered from the investigative reporter in the october 2020 report is that two days prior to her death all of her internet history was erased and all of her facebook messages were gone oh. and that wasn't prior knowledge but again Police don't always release everything to to the public, and they don't have to. So That's interesting. They may be on to something. You know, like if you went, once you release something to the public, all you're doing is alerting the person who's clearly trying to stay hidden. So there's that, guys. That is the case of Lindsay Buziak, and may Gosh. you rest in peace, you beautiful, yes. beautiful woman. Wow. And I hope you know. I hope spread they, the word, you guys. I do hope that they get some new leads. I hope that they get somewhere with it. It doesn't sound like there's a whole lot right now. Yes. They're um, kind of like Brian Schaefer. Vanished. Yes. Exactly. Nothing. Out of vanished from the ugly tuna. Yes. The ugly Somehow. tuna. Or did he? Well, right. You know? Well, we you don't, know? We don't know. But, wow. They do also know that there was another phone that was used to call to check the messages of that burner phone during the two days that Lindsay and fake accent woman were talking. Okay. So that was something new from the 2020 report as well, um, 2020 report as well. Interestingly enough, the police never make mention in the report about the accent being fake. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They just didn't include that piece like the friends and family did. It's just, I think the part that I'm really the most confused about is that she seemed to be a normal, young, beautiful girl. Yeah. And so either I, somebody was jelly. Yeah. I'm just going to say when you see pictures of her... You're going to under, okay, there's the green envy. There was hate, There was some haters. Yes, there's green envy. She had just gotten breast implants, so to, to someone nice who's envious. A nice perky pair. Of course, mm-hmm. yeah, that makes anyone jealous. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> so and somebody then, may have seen the perky pair, and they're like, she is not going to live her best life. She's thriving in the real estate market. Like, for, she's dating this man from a very wealthy, prominent yeah. family. I don't know. Then there's also just the, I'm sorry, I hit my microphone and I'm not going to edit it out. That's okay. Um, you you don't have to apologize. We are, we are like super real people here. We're we in are. a basement studio. Okay. My kids <laughs> are upstairs acting a fool and my dogs are barking. Yeah. We're real people just like everybody else. Absolutely. And then there's then the whole other flip side that of, of the drug possibility that she was just misunderstood as someone who saw something she shouldn't have and we gotta eliminate her because she's collateral yeah. damage that yeah i mean that would i guess of all things make sense because i can't think of any other reason somebody would want to kill mm-hmm. her unless they were really freaking jealous yeah you're right those are my own two things or also maybe somebody that just doesn't want someone in someone they love's life anymore mm-hmm Fill in the blanks. Uh, how you want yeah, yeah. to fill those in. I, I do want to add this quote from her dad. We're 12 and a half, almost 13 years, this was in 2020, into this murder. I'm always surprised that every resident of Sanit County, is where they live, doesn't show up at my annual walk for justice, because he does an annual walk for justice for Lindsay. Mm-hmm. Because right now, psychologically, you can murder in our town and there will be no consequences. Because to him, that's how it feels. Yeah. You can murder in my town and there's no consequences. Yeah. Why don't you all show up for the walk for justice? Because this could be you next. Yeah, this could be your family, mm-hmm. your daughter. For sure. Now, uh, her poor dad. From the February 2021 article, they said, and I quote, investigators, and everything's linked in the show notes, investigators are reviewing and retesting evidence, including items from the crime scene, as well as digital evidence. Advancements in fields such as genealogy as well as DNA analysis had led has led to the resolution in many other cases. Good, good, good. Yep. That's so hope. Hopefully we've got more to come. Let's keep it circulating. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Are you all ready for a brain bag? I am. This one's fun. Oh, good. This one's a, if I ever know I'm going to go off the deep end, I'm, I'm going to grab you and we're going to do this. Okay. Well, so, you know, I, I'm always game for a good adventure. So. Sure, sure. I mean, if we're going down, this is how we're doing it. All right. It. This is the title. Mother and son exemplify the Walmart shopper stereotype. Oh. In Wisconsin. Tell me more. So, Lisa Smith, 46, and her son, Benny Van, 25, went inside a Walmart located in Euclid, Wisconsin, around 8.30 p.m. on April 11th, 2019. Nice little trip to Walmart. Uh-huh. No big deal. The Walmarts. The, wa- the Walmarts. Mm-hmm. Officers were called to the crime scene after calls of a woman pulling apart store displays and placing them in her cart while her dog, Bo, was running up to customers. Fortunately for the staff, they were able to make S- Smith leave the store where she perform- where she proceeded to perform karate moves. <laughs> yes, queen. My kind of girl. That is me. <laughs> if I'm going down, the karate's coming out. Karate mo- my karate moves that I don't know are coming out. They're coming out. out. <laughs> and it's going to look good. I want to be friends with her. Yes, yes. Unfortunately for the staff, her son, Van, was still inside, stripping himself and exposing himself to other customers. What? Cool, because that's what people want to see. Your baby bird hanging out. How old was son? 25. 20, okay, so we we have a full-grown adult. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not. Awful presumptuous over there, my friend. When officers arrive at the scene, they found Smith calling for her dog, Bo, as he was performing a heist on a box of chiffy corn muffin mix. This is just Bo like is getting a the whole muffin mix. party going on with this family. I'm telling you. I got Maggie Molly. You get Geo. We're, We're going. going to Walmart. Absolutely. So Smith fought with the officers and was ultimately arrested. Smith decided it would be a good idea to add extra charges by attempting to kick out the window of the police squad car. You go big or you go home. I mean, at this point, why wouldn't you? Yeah. After Smith was arrested, officers attempted to approach Van, the son, who at this point was putting on clothes from the store racks that he did not purchase. I love that they added that. I see no problem. That he did not not pay for. Van, who is like his mother, decided to tack on extra charges by attempting to run over a police officer with his scooter. (laughs) Get it, Van? Luckily for the officers, the scooter posed no threat. I want the camera footage. Can you imagine this all playing out? Oh my God, it'd be the The best. The karate, the jog. The scooter. The scooter trying on clothes after exposing yourself. The Gross. <laughs> right. Like, let me whip it around like an elephant trunk. Wait, wait. Now let me put on four pairs of pants. <laughs> Hold on. That was embarrassing. I better cover Probably up. Probably didn't have underwear on, so you know he's no. just like free-flowing uh-uh. on the, the clothing. He is. So he was ultimately stopped by the officers on the scooter and arrested. Smith was hit with charges of resisting arrest, disorderly conduct, and misdemeanor bail jumping. Guess she jumped bail. Her son, Van, was arrested for lewd and disorderly conduct. That's, I mean, if I ever have to have a rap sheet. It's going to be that, yeah. Yeah. Like, Absolutely. Yeah, lewd, because I'm going to go down swearing, yeah. making up swears that don't even make sense. I'm going to call somebody <laughs> new words. dumb bastard shit toast. Yeah. You know, like, I just, it's not going to make any With sense. With the karate. Yeah, the mm-hmm. whole time. He also had retail theft and lewd and lascivious behavior. Mm-hmm, I like it. This is one. This is quite a family. Well, Bo, you may be wondering. I am. Bo, the dog behind the corn muffin mix heist, was brought to the Humane Association and was just released with a warning. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> is that not possibly the best brain bath it we've ever had? Is up there in the ranks. And I think that, that was the good. reason that it resonates with us is because we know in our local Walmart it could happen. We could see this for any sure. Any day. Any day now. I love me a good family oriented brain bath. Yes. You it know, was good. They one what do you think one Saturday they were just drinking and smoking it up and just like, you know what? Hey Van. The mom's like, "Hey Van. 
You bored? Bo, get in the car. Let's go. We're going to the Walmart. We're going to the Walmarts and we're going to fuck some shit up. I would like to think that's how it got it went down. <laughs> Not like, you know, they just kind of randomly went and it just unfolded I, that I, way. I'm I don't just know. picturing her being when he whips out his little willy. I picture her being like too far. That's <laughs> I didn't raise you to do that. Get on the scooter instead. Put your clothes scooter. Put everybody else's clothes that you didn't pay for back on or yeah. on. Yeah. <laughs> and get, get on your scooter here. and come on. Bo, where are you at? Grab the corn mix. Let's go. I got some cornbread to make. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I Again, I want to oh, see the camera. Me, too. I want to see the footage. I do have the mug shots. Oh. You're not going to be surprised. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot wait to see oh, these. Oh, shit. All right. Well, I hope you guys, I hope that brought you back up. It, you know what? It did for me. Good. I, I feel good. uplifted and refreshed after Perfect. that one. It was a good one. Good. Well, we hope you keep listening. We hope you keep it curious. And honestly, we hope you keep it curious by continuing to listen. Like, yeah, what do those bitches have to say next? And <laughs> follow us on our social media accounts. It'd be awesome if you would give us a rate and review or share us or something like Acknowledge us in some sort of way, shape, or form because that help people too yeah and it just helps get us out there because we do a lot of stuff um <laughs> all right email us case suggestions or brain baths oh if you we have your own the brain baths. embarrassing moment freaking email us that guys crime curious at yahoo.com let us know if we can use our, your name or not so yeah until i guess we'll see you on sunday then yeah. all right thanks for listening bye, bye. guys